Greetings. Welcome to another edition of Voice for the Mountains, a program dedicated to ending the environmentally destructive practice of mountaintop removal mining. Even as I speak, this form of coal mining is currently destroying our beautiful Appalachian Mountains, one by one, permit by permit. If you are a newcomer to the issue of mountaintop removal, or MTR as it is commonly referred to, please visit the websites ilovemountains.org and appalachianvoices.org for more information. Voice for the Mountains is an independent program which presents a summary of the best media pieces on the subject of mountaintop removal mining. I am your host, Barbara Strangfeld, and am solely responsible for the editorial comments on this broadcast. The podcast is produced and directed by Joseph Puentes and can be found at h2opodcast.com slash mountains dot html. The beautiful acoustic music you hear is entitled Mountaineer Creek and is provided by Chris Proctor. Please visit Chris at www.chrisproctor.com. And now, on to our program. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of Voice for the Mountains. We've got a lot of interesting news stories and media pieces for you this evening. And also, I want to encourage you to visit a website uh, of one of my favorite authors, her name is Kelly Going, uh, better known as K.L. Going. She's written some great books uh, for young adults, uh, including Fat Kid Rules the World and some other great novels that, that uh, young adults really like. And she is doing a special feature on mountaintop removal. Um, and if you visit her website at klgoing.com and click on Cool Person of the Month, you will see a good write-up about mountaintop removal and some links to my favorite websites, ilovemountains.org and Appalachian Voices. So uh, take a look, and while you're at it, take a look at some of Kelly's books. They're terrific, and if you know any young adults or if you're a young adult, you will certainly enjoy reading them. And I've read all of them, and I love them myself. Uh, and I'm also excited because this evening... We have some great uh, things that are being done uh, in in mountaintop removal mining and and getting an end to it. Uh, it's all about solutions as well as defining the problem. And tonight, uh, we're going to take a really good look at uh, an, a wonderful project that's getting off the ground, and it's all about wind power. We have a lot of good stories, um, and I'm going to start with some of them. And the first one that I'm going to start with is called the Raleigh County Mountain at the Center of Coal versus Wind Debate. And uh, the story is by Pam Casey. She's written an excellent story, and it is from West Virginia Media. And uh, if you uh, look at the description on the podcast, you can get a lot of these links and. Uh, so let me just start with a little bit of this story to kind of get your interest. Coal River Mountain in Raleigh County may soon become the center of an energy battle that pits fossil fuels against non-fossil renewable sources. At issue is this. Should we develop coal resources now, 
if that will destroy wind resources that can be harnessed forever. North Carolina-based community organizers, Appalachian Voices, decided to raise this question. The group contracted National Wind Development Consultants, WindLogics, to analyze some likely wind resources in southern West Virginia. They learned that Coal River Mountain, northwest of Beckley, offers a high-quality wind resource. Class 4, the lowest class considered by utility-scale developers up through the very high-quality Class 7. Computer modeling also showed that previous surface mining on adjacent Cherry Pond Mountain had reduced its wind potential. The wind rushes out of the valleys and it hits the ridge. The higher the ridge, the more speed it gains as it goes up, explained Rory McIlmoyle, who was hired from Appalachian Voices by Coal River Mountain Watch earlier this year to coordinate a wind energy campaign. By reducing the ridge altitude by hundreds of feet, you change the wind patterns and therefore impact the wind speed. To get a measure of Coal River Mountain's wind energy potential, McGill Moyle counted the number of two megawatt turbines that could be placed on the mountain's windiest ridges. Taking the wind map in GIS software, I placed the turbines along every part of the ridge at class four or higher wind speeds, McGill Moyle explained. Using a space of three rotor diameters between turbines, I found that 220 turbines could fit along the ridges. Maximized in that way, such a Coal River Mountain wind project would be the biggest in the east as far as McIlmoyle knows. The Backbone Mountain Wind Farm in Tucker County, the first one operating in the state, has 44 1.5 megawatt turbines in Venenergy energy plans to install 124 1.5 megawatt turbines at its Beach Ridge development in Greenbrier County. With the standard assumption that the wind would blow about a third of the time, a Coal River Mountain project could generate 1.116 million megawatt hours per year. Wow, more than several of the state's operating coal-fired plants. So the question that Pam Casey's raising is, does it make sense to to blast away these mountains and lose the potential for some great wind energy farms that would last uh, to infinity? That's a really good question, but not so fast. Massey Energy leases mineral rights from landholding companies on the mountain. It has obtained permits for two coal mines and has applications for two others in the works for what McIlmoyle said totals more than 6,000 acres of mountaintop removal. The permitted mines are held up by the United States District Judge Robert C. Chambers' 2007 decision that halted four U.S. Army Corps of Engineers valley fill permits granted to Massey. Chambers halted the permits because the Corps did not sufficiently consider the environmental impacts of the valley fill process. Those Corps permits are necessary for companies to engage in mountaintop removal mining. Massey's appeal will be heard September 23rd in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals in Richmond, Virginia. Recognizing that a massive victory would lead to the mining of Coal River Mountain and destruction of its wind resource, they're making a case publicly for wind over coal. A wind farm would create 200 jobs during construction and 40 to 50 permanent jobs indefinitely, the group argues, while Massey's mines would last only 14 years. Wind's total job years would exceed the mines in 27 years and would continue to sustain the community after that. 
For Raleigh County, McIlmoy estimates that the current high coal prices would bring on average a million dollars in severance taxes from Coal River Mountain for each of the 14 years. The wind farm, he said, could bring $750,000 each year indefinitely. A wind energy project would allow for concurrent uses of the mountain, including harvesting of ginseng and other wild plants, sustainable forestry, and even deep mining of coal. And it would preserve local heritage, wildlife habitat, and streams. The idea was presented at the Raleigh County Commission's June 3rd meeting, and it has spoken with wind developers that recognize the appeal of a community that actually wants a wind project. As this article went to print, it was learned that Coal River Wind Campaign has been chosen for Co-op America's Building Economic Alternatives Award. What terrific news, and we've got a lot of features on this very idea, which is absolutely phenomenal as far as I'm concerned. Our next story about this wind versus coal uh, is a little feature that was on WHSV, uh, and you can find it on the web at www.whsv.com in West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia, and it aired on August 19th. And we applaud them for looking at this story and uh, telling West Virginians about it. And uh, it says that West Virginia is the nation's second largest coal-producing state, but an environmental group says it's time to think about wind. Coal River Mountain Watch launched an Internet campaign Tuesday that seeks to encourage Massey Energy to stop plans to create a mountaintop removal mine on Coal River Mountain in southern West Virginia. The group says the ridges would be put to greater use if they were developed as a wind farm than if they were mined for coal. A study commissioned by the group suggests that up to 220 wind turbines could be placed along the mountain's ridges to produce enough energy for 150,000 homes. So great feature, and again, we thank Channel 3 down in Charleston for looking at this story and giving it some publicity because it's a really, really good issue. And again, um, an environmental group turns to the Internet. This story was also reported on August 19 by WVNS-TV, News for Beckley, Bluefield, and Lewisburg, West Virginia. And it it comes out of Whitesville. And again, it talks about the Coal River Mountain Watch launching its national campaign to educate people about wind farm power and uh, how they're using its website to get the message to leaders on a county, state, and national levels. And the group proposes, again, placing wind turbines on Coal River Mountain. And Coal River Mountain Watch says there are already plans in the mountain for the mountain to be strip-mined. It's estimated that over 6,000 acres will be affected. And obviously, the wind farm is a much more viable economic alternative to the mountaintop removal plans. So, again, we thank uh, WVMS-TV for also covering this story. And we've got a really um, in-depth article that I want to recommend to you. Um, This is from PR Newswire. And you can uh, pick it up at uh, www.prnewswire.com. And it comes from August 19th. And I'd like to, again, read it because I just think this story is so wonderful. Uh, for it's always 
easy to talk about problems, but to come up with a really viable solution, one that meets economic needs of a community, uh, one that does away with the environmental dangers, one that uh, really allows people to um, still harvest the herbs that are grow on these mountains, to still perpetuate the culture of the Appalachians, and to preserve the Appalachians for future generations. It's a terrific idea. Um, so let's hear a little bit more about this wind or mountaintop removal. Unlike one-shot despoiling of mountains by mountaintop removal mining, utility-scale wind farms would generate an ongoing supply of energy, jobs, and taxes. Should Coal River Mountain, which stands as one of the last mountains still intact in the beautiful Coal River Valley of West Virginia, that's hard to believe it's one of the last mountains still intact. What a precious resource. Uh, but anyway, should it vanish as a result of 6,600 acres of strip mining and 18 valley fills that would increase the flooding of residents along the Clear Fork River? Or should the site be devoted to developing large-scale wind power that would generate enough clean energy to keep the lights on again, in 150,000 homes while preserving the mountains for future economic and community use. Massey Energy is seeking to use controversial mountaintop removal mining methods to destroy nearly 10 square miles of Coal River Mountain for the one-shot removal of coal from the site. However, a new study based on the use of a wind farm model provided by national wind development modeling firm WindLogix and conducted by members of Appalachian Voices and Coal River Mountain Watch, outlines a strong new alternative in a 440-megawatt wind farm. The proposed wind farm would preserve Coal River Mountain while providing energy and much-needed jobs for the Coal River Valley communities forever. The wind logic study conducted for the Coal River Mountain project shows that Coal River Mountain is ideal for utility-scale wind. We're optimistic about the potential for local leaders to support this project and put Raleigh County on the map. This would be the biggest wind farm proposed on the East Coast and could provide a model for other counties in West Virginia looking for affordable, clean energy and safe, healthy jobs in their own communities, said Matt Norpel of Coal River Mountain Watch. Permit data shows that the mountaintop removal operation will only provide jobs and energy for 14 years and will eliminate any potential for alternative economic development, such as wind energy. A wind farm, by comparison, would allow for other uses of the land that would benefit local communities like sustainable forestry, tourism, and the harvesting of ginseng and other wild plants. I live in the west end of the county, which has been heavily impacted by coal mining, said Lorelei Scarborough of Rock Creek. Our concern today is our homes, our environment, and the sustainability of the environment. The house I live in and raise my children in, which my husband built, and he is buried in the family cemetery next door, would be in danger from this mine. The wind farm would preserve the mountain. Economic development is of utmost importance, but concern for well-being of citizens is a priority. This wind farm could save local communities, people's lives, and our way of life, while also bringing new economic development to the area. This idea is an excellent alternative and may be the only alternative for our lands which are being permanently destroyed, said local resident and former coal miner Chuck Nelson. The proposed wind farm would generate over $20 million per year in direct local spending during construction 
and $2 million per year during the operational period. It would create 200-plus construction-related jobs the first two years and 40 to 50 permanent on-site operation and maintenance jobs that would last as long as the wind farm exists. McGill Moyle said the national conversation on energy and global warming makes it clear that America needs to start investing heavily in renewable energy as well as get itself off foreign sources of energy. Carbon taxes could make coal more expensive in coming years, and Western Virginia needs to prepare itself by developing innovative, affordable, and new sources of domestic energy before that happens. Excellent article, and again, I urge you to read it in its entirety. Um, I also would encourage you to visit another great website, um, and that is www.coalriverwind.org to find a lot of information about this exciting project. And we're going to keep talking about it uh, this evening because it's really uh, quite, to me, the best thing that I've heard about in a long time. Continuing on with our blowing in the wind theme, um, we are going to read a uh, very good uh, article uh, from Gristmill. Uh, Gristmill is the environmental news blog, and I've read some articles about uh, MTR uh, from Gristmill on previous programs. I really recommend that you visit their website and do a lot of exploring. They've got great pieces on there. Uh, Again, it's gristmill.grist.org. And this uh, piece was written by Kate Shepard. She's done an excellent job. It's it's really in-depth. And again, I, I urge you to read it in its entirety. And it was posted on uh, 21st of August if you want to go research it. And it focuses uh, on this wind project. It's called On a Wind and a Prayer. And it talks about, uh, for years, local activists from Coal River Watch have been fighting against mountaintop removal and other harmful coal industry practices. But in 2006, WinLogics and advocates from the group Appalachian Voices conducted a study and found that a wind farm on the mountain could provide enough energy to power 150,000 homes. They now formed a new group, Coal River Wind, and outlined a proposal to build 220, 292 feet tall wind turbines on the mountain, which would provide sustained tax income for Raleigh County and at least 250 local jobs. There are three wind companies interested in the proposal. This is the first alternative ever proposed that has a strong economic component that has real benefits to it that could be brought to local communities, said Rory McIlmoyle, campaign coordinator for Coal River Wind. The wind potential would be destroyed if they continue with the strip mining. And again, uh, some comments from Lorelei Scarborough. She's one of the community members fighting the proposed mountaintop removal sites. Like many area residents, she already knows well the impacts of mountaintop removal. Residents have dealt with flooding, contaminated wells, and the destruction of their homes and surrounding landscape due to mountaintop removal. Surface mining has already destroyed more than 500,000 acres in West Virginia. My father was a coal miner. My grandfather was a coal miner. I have two brothers that are coal miners. My son-in-law is a coal miner, says Scarborough, a lifelong West Virginian and probably not someone you'd expect to be an outspoken opponent of coal. But Scarborough says, I believe the time for coal has come and gone, and I think we're destroying our earth with fossil fuels. That's the reason that we're in the climate crisis that we're in. I believe we need to start transitioning. It's like living in a war zone. 
When you have to sit in your home, you hear the blasting and you breathe in the coal dust and you breathe in the rock dust. To live with your house shaking every day, the foundations cracking, the windows rattling, it is really like living in a war zone. Scarborough fears that the home in Rock Creek that her husband, a union coal miner, built 35 years ago and the surrounding 10-acre plot of land will be at risk if the proposed strip mine goes through. So uh, she is working with this group to encourage people to support this wind project. And uh, again, if you have heard or read of the stories about the people who live near mountaintop removal mining, it is like a war zone. And they have asked us for their help. And the Appalachian Mountains belong to all of us as a national treasure. And I think uh, we should in, encourage um, these people who are working so hard to end mountaintop removal mining. And please, uh, again, look at the Coal River Wind site. And congratulations um, to Kate Shepard for writing such an outstanding article. Okay, um, on to another topic. Um, this has to do with the uh, Dominion uh, coal plant that we've reported on. It comes from www.roanoke.com, and it's an editorial piece written by Rosemary Sauden, and she is the former chair of the New River Group, Sierra Club, and treasurer of Virginia Forest Watch. She's written an excellent piece, um, and that is uh, posted on the editorials of that website, and it was written on August 22nd. I encourage you again to always read these in the entirety. And uh, she says, now let's look at mountaintop removal. More than 470 mountains have been leveled in Appalachia, that is one million of acres of land in the last 10 years, and more than 1,200 miles of destroyed streams, all in the pursuit of coal. This process destroys and displaces entire human communities and annihilates the most biologically diverse temperate hardwood forest habitat in the world. The impacts on the communities of eastern Montgomery County for this coal plant will be devastating. Not only will their quality of life be affected and communities substantially altered, but this too will lead to environmental damage in greenhouse gases created by hundreds of thousands of trucks traveling an already inadequate road system. These types of projects touted as necessary either for more electricity produced or economic development are not proposed to, to benefit people but corporations. So again, I encourage you to read this article in its entirety and uh, get acquainted with that issue as well. I know the uh, this Dominion coal-fired plant has certainly been on a lot of people's agenda, and there's a lot of arguments going back and forth. Do a little research on the inter internet and get educated. And again, our congratulations to Rosemary Salden for an excellent article on this piece. We have a lot of positive news tonight, and. This next article I was delighted to uh, read, and it is written by Deborah McCown um, uh, from the Bristol Herald Courier. And um, actually, um, uh, it was distributed by the McClatchy Tribune Information Services and has been picked up by uh, several other websites, uh, so uh, it's gotten a lot of traction. And it's uh, an end to mountaintop removal mining. Mountaintop removal could be ended by as early as next year, said a leader in an environmental group working to halt the destructive mining practices. Uh, 
Now there is an increasingly powerful and vocal national movement to stop mountaintop removal, said Matt Wasson, an ecologist and director of programs for Appalachian Voices. I'm saying we're going to have it stopped by the end of next year, the end of 2009. Mountaintop removal is to some a controversial term. It refers to the blasting away of mountain ridges to get to the coal underneath, a process that evolved with technological advancements over the decades from traditional contour mining. What makes this type of mining cost-effective is a valley fill permit, which allows the overburden, dirt and rock removed to expose the coal to be dumped into adjacent valleys. The practice has been criticized as degrading to the environment and hazardous to nearby residents who must endure the noise, dust, and danger of blasting on the mountains above their homes, as well as flooding when stream courses are changed. Mountaintop removal mining is a national disgrace, said Aaron Isherwood, staff attorney for the Sierra Club. If the people knew what was happening in Appalachia, I feel certain they would demand an end to this practice. Coal producers argue that their industry is one of the nation's most regulated, and as long as they follow regulations, they should be allowed to extract the fuel that fires half of the nation's electricity generation. Wasson pins his hope on two distinct possibilities, a pending U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling on a West Virginia court case and the upcoming election. Other activists agree that both have the potential to put a stop to the issuance of new permits for mountaintop removal mining. With a long list of plaintiffs and defendants, the West Virginia lawsuit seeks to put a stop to valley fail permits, which are issued by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Central to the issue is the question whether the discard from mining should be considered waste under the 1977 Clean Water Act, which limits the release of pollutants into streams. I don't know what will happen in the future, Levitt said. I can tell you we haven't had any significant permits issued since March 2007 because the court found that the federal government was illegal, illegally issuing permits at that time. When a federal court in West Virginia issued an order rescinding permits in question, the permits were sent back to the Corps. The Corps of Engineers contested the ruling in the Richmond Appellate Court case. The case also includes an issue related to sediment discharge. Lovett said three different decisions on valley fills have been overturned by the Fourth Circuit since 2000, but we're much more optimistic this time. He said if the appeals court upholds the decision, the federal government, which he said loosens its regulation during the current administration, would have to completely change its permanent processes. How can they approve the filling of hundreds and a couple of thousand miles of mountain streams in this region and say that it's not significantly degrading the water? All I can say is the Corps hasn't been doing its job until now. He said in addition to the West Virginia case, which will also affect Virginia, legal action also is underway in Kentucky, and the proposed Ice and Rock Ridge mining permit in Wise County, Virginia, is being watched closely as it moves through the regulatory process, as is the court ruling expected soon in a lawsuit over logging on the site. So that's just a little bit of the of the article, um, and it concludes by saying that activists say that while opposition to mountaintop removal is reaching critical mass, it will ultimately take action by a new administration in Washington to clarify Clean Water Act regulations to define mine spoil as waste or prohibit mountaintop removal outright. The next administration could clarify the federal regulations and make it clear that mountaintop removal mining was never foreseen when the surface mining laws were passed and is not permitted under those laws, Lovett said. 
We can fight with agencies all we want, but it's going to take some will in Washington to get things done. A hopeful article and one that really outlines what's going on as far as the court cases, again, I urge you to take a look at it and read it in its entirety. Well, the next thing I want to talk about is something uh, a little different media, and that is uh, a wonderful CD uh, that's been released um, on Falling Mountain Music. And you can go to their website at uh, www.fallingmountain.com. And just out is a CD called Moving Mountains, Voices of Appalachia Rise Up Against Mountaintop Removal Coal Mine. And it's a compilation CD of songs and stories dedicated to raising awareness about the devastation of mountains and communities in the coal fields of southern and central Appalachia. It includes 13 songs from various artists, as well as six interviews with local residents, and it was compiled by lifelong musician and activist Jen Osha. The CD features songwriter and occasional West Virginia Public Radio host Kate Long, guitarist and songwriter Mike Morningstar, venerable fiddler Vassar Clements, as well as tracks from Andrew McKnight, Keith and Joan Pitzer, and most of the proceeds from the sale of this CD will go to nonprofit organizations helping mining communities threatened or destroyed by MTR, including the Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition and Coal River Mountain Watch, which we've just been talking about. So um, I really, really hope that you will check this out. I know I've ordered my copy. You can go on the website and listen to a few of the songs. And one of them, The Most Beautiful Place in the World, is sung by none other than the Executive Director of Appalachian Voices, Marianne Hitt. It's a beautiful piece, and uh, you'll enjoy listening to it and the other selections on the website. So just take a look and enjoy. Another different kind of uh, media piece, but one that I really enjoyed reading, is uh, a editorial uh, writing uh, by uh, a priest, and it is in the CourierJournal.com, and out of Louisville, Kentucky, and Southern Indiana, and it's called "Put Yourself in a New Cosmology," and it was written by Reverend Joseph Mitchell. And he is a Catholic priest and director of the Passionist Earth and Spirit Center. It's an interfaith spirituality institute established in the conviction that the earth and all of its inhabitants are sacred. And you can go to his website at www.earthandspiritcenter.org. But if you want to read this beautiful piece, again, in its entirety, I suggest you go to www.courier-journal.com and look at August 18th, and I will read you an excerpt from a very, very beautiful piece. Put yourself in a new cosmology. It was an unforeseen challenge that shocked and disoriented Europeans. In 1543, Copernicus suggested that the Earth was neither stationary nor the center of the world. What? We're rotating around the sun and spinning through space? They were incredulous because this view of reality changed their cosmology. A cosmology is the concept a group of people have about the way things are, how the universe came into being, how the cosmos operates. It's their assumption about the nature of the world and the place of humans within it. As the Courier-Journal often reminds us, Kentucky is being challenged with complex local issues 
such as mountaintop removal, air pollution choking Louisville, and toxins floating through the Ohio River. Lack of technological solutions is not our primary problem. The root of our crisis lies in a cosmology which enshrines a worldview of human separation from the natural world. As long as we operate out of assumptions that alienate us from the earth, blind us to its spiritual dimensions, and prompt us to pursue economic development in fatally immature ways, the destruction of our commonwealth is likely to continue with grave consequences. Our hope lies in recovering an intimacy with the earth out of which we emerged. Its fate is our fate. It is a remarkable 13.7 billion year story which brought forth solar systems, red giant stars, hydrogen atoms, cumulus clouds, elephants, sunflowers, and human beings. Only when we conceptually abide within this new cosmology will we attain sufficient energy to change our damaging behavior and find a vision to build a hopeful future for Kentucky based upon the integrity of all creation. The challenge is to see the earth as a single sacred community. Well, those are really beautiful words, Reverend Mitchell. And again, this is a very long piece and the philosophy is wonderful. I strongly encourage you to read it and also to uh, visit the website, earthandspiritcenter.org. Our next piece is just to uh, let you know by way of information um, about a um, geographic information systems um, a, a um, meeting that's going to be held uh, from October 17th through 19th, and it's going to feature uh, Google Earth visualizing change, mapping the future, and it's actually going to focus on some things. Uh, it's about high-tech, hits-the-ground mapping, and Google Earth outreach is leveraging positive environmental and social change by merging high-tech with activism. And they're going to feature Rebecca Moore and Marianne Hitt, Executive Director of Appalachian Voices, whose online campaign is urging Google, using Google Earth to stop mountaintop removal coal mining. Sylvia Earle, a world-renowned oceanographer, and Peter Warshall, uh, the former Whole Earth editor, is also going to be there. And it really looks like a terrific conference. It's going to be held at the Marin Center in San Rafael, California. And if you go on the Sonoma State Geospatial Blog site, um, which is ssugis.blogspot.com, and look at August 2008 issue, uh, you will see information on this conference. And uh, if you have a chance and you're interested, uh, register and see what it's all about. And if you can't do that, then look at the ilovemountains.org website. And if you're not acquainted already with a wonderful Google Earth uh, presentation they have of mountaintop removal mining, uh, I strongly urge you to uh, visit and become acquainted with it. Uh, and um, now I'd like to just uh, uh, also inform you that um, the Buckminster Fuller Challenge Award goes to Dr. John Todd, and um, his award was for biofuels, and his project was entitled The Comprehensive Design for a Carbon-Neutral World, The Challenge of Appalachia. And his proposal was designed around um, ending mountaintop removal mining 
and this came from his project proposal. There are over one and a half million acres of strip mine lands in Appalachia. Coal mining practices have removed mountaintops and filled valleys with resulting overburden. Landscapes and communities have been devastated. The primary rationale for this is the nation needs the coal for electricity. 50% of the USA's electricity comes from burning coal. However, coal combustion is creating increasing levels of carbon dioxide, triggering climate change, and threatening the ecological integrity of the planet. There is an alternative future for Appalachia. It is the antithesis of the current economy of the region. This is a future in which carbon is no longer an atmospheric pollutant, but is sequestered in soils and biota. Mining toxins are remediated, coal lands restored, and a new economy is based upon renewable energy, natural resources, enterprise diversification, and an ownership society. Dr. Todd proposes a four-stage process, and that includes healing, carbon sequestration, and the creation of a working landscape, creating a renewable energy future, and institutions and a shared ownership culture. And you can read all about his award uh, at the Green Car Congress uh, website, which is www.greencarcongress.com. And we congratulate him for his wonderful project. Uh, and again, this is a program full of solutions. And I'm going to end it with a um, uh, an appropriate uh, little writing from Wallace Stegner, written in 1960, and it was uh, quoted in a piece collected by Ann Matthews in the uh, summer issue of the American Scholar, uh, entitled Hope. And again, it's by Wallace Stegner, and it's, I think, a beautiful way to close tonight's program. Something will have gone out of us as a people if we ever let the remaining wilderness be destroyed. If we permit the last virgin forest to be turned into comic books and plastic cigarette cases, push our paved roads to the last of the silence. We simply need that wild country available to us, even if we never do more than drive to its edge and look in. For it can be a means of reassuring ourselves of our sanity as creatures, a part of the geography of hope. And yes, this has been a program dedicated to hope, and we encourage all of you to become a voice for the mountains. Won't you join us? Thank you, and have a good evening. Well, that ends another edition of Voice for the Mountains. If you have a comment, question, or article about mountaintop removal mining that you would like shared in a future program, just contact me, Barbara Strangfeld, at stop mtr at waterpodcast.com. That's stopmtr at waterpodcast.com. I'd like to thank Joseph Puentes for producing and directing this program, Chris Proctor for sharing his beautiful music, and all the good folks at ilovemountains.org and appalachianvoices.org. The 13th century Zen master, Dogen, wrote in the Mountains and Rivers Sutra, Although mountains belong to the nation, mountains belong to the people who love them. If you love the Appalachian Mountains and want to save them from destruction, then you become a voice for the mountains too, before it's too late. Thank you. <laughs>